Well, good evening, guys. Welcome to Grace Church. We're really glad that you're here. Thanks for venturing out into the flood, to the deluge. Was it raining out there when you got here? Man, it's been crazy how much rain we've got. Uh, Glad that you're here tonight. If you are visiting, I want to echo what John said. We're super excited that you've come to join us, and we want you to make yourself at home. We want you to relax. We want you to be yourself. Um, We're uh, in a series that, actually, we're just finishing up a series that we've been doing for the last few weeks on Philippians called Uncommon Joy. And uh, it's cool. You know, last week I got a chance to be at our Norton campus. Actually, I get to be there tomorrow as well and preach. But last week I got a chance to be there and... uh, and just, like, they love us so much. Like, they are so excited for what God is doing here through all of us here at the Barberton campus as we start this. You know, it's um, the, the previous service. It's interesting. We blew out our, the breakers <laughs> right before service started. Everything went great up through rehearsal and practice and all that. And then right before service started, we blew out all the breakers. But it was, and, and so they didn't have screens and all that. But it was actually a really cool reminder because we don't need all of this stuff to do what we're trying to do. Right? Like we're here, we're starting this campus, this church, because we want to reach this community with the gospel. Many people in Barberton know Jesus, and many, many, many people don't know Jesus. And so it's really cool like what we get a chance to be a part of. And um, Grace Church, so we're one campus of Grace Church. Grace Church has three other campuses, and they are so connected to us. Like we're not doing this on our own. I guess that's my point. It's so cool like being over there and seeing their joy and excitement at what God is doing with us here, and they're supporting us, and they're praying for us. And so over there I said, um, we kind of think of ourselves as like your baby, you know, like the Bath campus and the Norton campus have a baby, and it's the Barberton campus, so I said, you're like our mama, you're my mama over there, right? So uh, anyway, as our mama, they are very excited for what we're doing, so... Um, Today we get a chance to kind of wrap up the series that we've been focusing on in Philippians. And I hope you've had a chance to dig into Philippians a little bit. It's a short book, short little letter, uh, four chapters. But man, it is so packed with some incredible stuff that God has for us, that Paul writes to us that God has for us. So we said throughout this series, kind of what we've been doing is taking it, kind of digging into a chapter each week. And so um, 35, 40 minutes for a sermon isn't enough time to go verse by verse through each chapter. So we've been pulling out some of the key concepts and saying, what does it look like for us to apply this to our lives? What does it look like for us to live this? And so we said that uh, the book of Philippians was written by a guy named Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote this book, wrote this little letter, and he wrote it to a group of people that he knew really well. So he planted this church. So Paul went to Philippi. They had never heard of the gospel. They had never heard of Jesus. And he brought them the gospel. And so many people then, through Paul and his team, his efforts, came to know Jesus. Jesus, and this church was planted. And then about 10 years later, Paul writes this little letter to them. He writes this little epistle to them. And what's so interesting is he writes it from prison. So he's in prison in Rome, awaiting a trial from the Emperor Nero, the Roman Emperor. And he takes the time, he's thinking, he's praying about his people, and he takes the time and he writes this little letter to the Philippians. And we said, kind of the main theme throughout the book of Philippians is joy. So Paul writes from prison to them about rejoice in the Lord. Regardless of your circumstances, you and I can take joy. And we said that we can have, so hence the name of the series, right? Uncommon joy. So we said you can have an uncommon 
uncommon joy. You and I can have an uncommon joy regardless of our circumstances, whether we're in prison or not in prison or wherever. We can have an uncommon joy because of the uncommon gospel, because of the uncommonly good news that Jesus came and lived and died for you and me, taking the penalty that we deserve upon himself, right? And so throughout this series, we've been kind of challenging you with the question, if, if the series is called Uncommon Joy, and we're saying, man, we want to have this, this joy that's uncommon in this world, and the uncommon joy comes from the uncommon gospel, we've been challenging you with this question of, have you embraced the gospel? Like, in your life, have you grabbed hold of this and made it your own? And embracing the gospel is not about attending church, right? That's not what embracing the gospel is. It's not about going to church all my life. That's not what it's about. It's not about being a good person. That's not embracing the gospel. It's not about, um, well, I like Jesus. I like a lot of things that he said. That's not embracing the gospel. It's not about serving people. It's not about doing works. Embracing the gospel is saying, I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. I believe that he's God. I believe that he came and died and rose again for my sins and I embrace him, right? And I make him center of my life and say, my life now revolves around this Jesus. I believe he is who he said he is and now I want to follow him with my life. That's what embracing the gospel is about. And so I want to challenge you as we start off here. I'm going to come around to it at the end again. But I want to challenge you. Have you done that in your own life? Have you embraced the good news, the uncommon commonly good news of what Jesus has done for you. Last week, we spent time in chapter 3. And so we talked about, what we, what, basically what we said was, because of the nature of who Jesus is, he's God, and because of what he's done for us, he gives us grace and peace and forgiveness and all of those things, we said that is the most valuable thing to us and the most valuable thing about us. Knowing Jesus, knowing this one who's God and who brought us, brought us grace and peace, knowing him is the most valuable valuable thing to us and the most valuable thing about us. Not because knowing him makes my life easy and I can get all shiny and polished and really good. That's not it. It's so valuable to us and it's so valuable about us because he's God, right? Because he's the God of the universe. Think about that for a second. The God of the universe knows you. The one who, like we look outside, we see the rain clouds, the trees, blue skies, all that sort of stuff. The one who created everything that is knows you and says, I want to have a relationship with you and I want you to have a relationship with me, right? And so we walked away from last week saying, Jesus is enough. Like, Jesus plus nothing else is enough. Knowing him, knowing this one who's God and what he's done for us is enough, right? That's what we walked away with last week. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about the result in our lives of having that sort of relationship with God. So some of the results in our lives that come from knowing Jesus. When the uncommonly good news takes root in my life, how does it change me? Well, it changes me in a lot of ways. Tonight, we're going to look at a few of those ways. So if you got your Bibles, flip them open to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians... It's kind of fun to say. Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love for you to have one. So if you don't have one of your own, we got a whole table full of them back there. We would encourage you to take it, grab it, make it your own. Don't worry about it. You're not stealing it. We want you to have it. In those church Bibles, it's page 953. So Philippians chapter 4, page 953. 
in chapter 3, right before this, Paul's just talked about the one day. You know, the one day when uh, we'll be with our God in heaven. We kind of ended this way a little bit last week. The one day when we'll be with our God in paradise, when King Jesus is on the throne. Will there be, you know, no more sore backs, no more sunburns, no more crabgrass in my yard, right? No cancer, no death, no sickness, none of those things. And so Paul says, one day when you love Jesus, when you know him and when you love him, we're going to be with him in paradise, right? That's how he ends chapter 3. And then we get to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, Paul kind of starts out and he makes his final appeal to the Philippians. And then he does something unique. He doesn't do this hardly ever in his writings, but he does something unique. He starts out chapter 4 talking about a couple friends of his that he names by name who are having a disagreement. Take a look at it. Chapter 4, Philippians, starting in verse 2. He says, he writes, he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So last week, one of the things that we said is like, these are real people. The people that wrote the Bible are real people. Paul's a real dude, living in a real world with real world temptations, real world, real world struggles just like ours. And these people are not perfect, just like we're not perfect. And some of them even got into disagreements, like Euodia and Syntyche. No one actually knows what it is that these two ladies were fighting about. There's strong expositional support that one of them was a Cleveland Browns fan and the other was a Steelers fan, and they just couldn't get along with things. Other theologians think one loved Ohio State football and the other loved Michigan football. So uh, they're pretty confident that the disagreement was about football but, you know, just kidding. No, no one knows exactly what these ladies were dealing with, like what they were arguing about, what they had this disagreement with, but they were real people who Paul loved, along with Clement, he names Clement here, the rest of his co-workers, who had some sort of disagreement. They weren't, they weren't united. By the way, maybe, maybe you're sitting here tonight and you have a disagreement with somebody else. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you have a disagreement with somebody else that's part of the church right now. And let me say this. Unity in the church is so important. Paul knows this. That's why, that's why he includes this in the letter. Unity in the church is so important, especially for a young church like us, for a young campus like us. It's important to Paul and it's important to us. And so I challenge you, man, if you, if you sit here tonight and you have a problem with someone else that's part of the church, like, don't let it go. Deal with it. I think that's the best answer for conflict anyway. Not just brush it under the carpet and pretend like it doesn't exist, but deal with it. Don't let it take root. Don't let it grow up into something that's bitter and ugly, but deal with it. So important. So important today, and it was so important back in Paul's days as well. Back to Philippians. We don't know what these two ladies' conflict was. We don't know what it is that they were dealing with, only that they had some. But here's what I want you to get from this. Living with uncommon joy and helping people understand the uncommon gospel is messy. It's messy. For us, for you and me, living in the world that we live in with an uncommon joy and helping people understand the uncommonly good news about Jesus is messy. My life's messy, I'll be honest with you, and so is yours. And even people who love Jesus and are trying to follow him well, sometimes there's issues, right? Like none of us are perfect. Sometimes we have issues. And when we do, we can't pretend like they're not there, but instead we got to deal with them. That's what Paul says. Look back at verse 4. 
So he says, you know, to Yodia and Syntyche, deal with this. Help them deal with this. And he gets to verse 4, and he says to the Philippians, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. There it is again, right? We said this is a major theme throughout the book of Philippians. Over and over and over again, Paul talks about this. Rejoice in the Lord. He goes on, verse 5, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Maybe in some of your Bibles that word might be translated, anxious might be translated as worried. Do not be anxious. Do not be worried about anything. Do not be troubled with cares. That's what that word means. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, worry. Yuck. Yeah. Anxiety. Yeah. I'm just a worrier. It's who I am. It's what I do. I had somebody from the last service in between services come to me and say, um, he doesn't worry, so I have to worry for both of us. Right? Somebody's got to worry. I, I, I worry because I care. I'm supposed to care, Right? Why do so many of us struggle with worry and anxiety? Think about that. Like, think about that in your mind. Why, why do we struggle so much with worry and anxiety? Is it because, like, we care deeply about people, you know, and we don't want anything bad to happen to them? Like, is that, is that why we get anxious, we worry about things? Maybe. Is it because we care deeply about ourselves and we don't want anything bad to happen to us? There's probably a lot of truth in that. Is it, is it because we want control and then sometimes we realize we don't have a whole lot of control and so we start to, to get a little anxious and we start to worry? I bet that's true. Is it because we want things to happen the way that we want them to happen and we get a little worried that they're not going to happen the way that we want them to happen? I think that's true. Is it because maybe our faith is a little bit puny? That's probably true sometimes too. Can I just be real transparent with you right now? Um, now listen, I, I love people. I promise you, like genuinely, deeply I love people. But let me say this. One of the things that irritates me and frustrates me more than anything is Christians who are worriers. Oh, I hate that. Or, or even more, Christians who are worriers and are okay with it. Ah, it's just who I am. I gotta worry. I'm a mom, I gotta worry. I'm a dad, I gotta worry. I'm a big sister, I gotta worry about things. Oh, I hate that. Do me a favor, let's do a little exercise. Look back at verse 6. Look back at verse 6. Paul writes, right, and he says, Do not be anxious about anything. That's what he says there, right? Do not be anxious about anything. Think about it. What does that mean? I think it means do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> I. Now, if you, if you look at that word, we talked about the word anxious, to be troubled with care, to worry. If you look at that word that's translated, this is originally written in Greek, right? If you look at the word that's translated as not, do not be anxious about anything. In the Greek, that word is meden, okay? Now, in other places in the Bible, this word meden is translated as not. A few places I found it's translated as not, In one place I found it was translated as not. What do you think Paul's trying to say there? Do not be anxious about anything. I think that's what he's saying. He's saying there's no need at all for us to be anxious and to worry. We shouldn't worry. Think about this. I thought about this a lot this week. 
There's no situation that I can think of where worrying and being anxious is helpful, is needed, or is godly. I don't think that there's any situation that we could possibly think of where worrying and being anxious is helpful, is needed by us, or is the godly response for us. So I was thinking about this in my own life because even though it frustrates me and it irritates me, like I'm not immune from it, right? Like I can can worry as well. And so I was thinking about times in my life when when I worried and I was uh, well, like kind of got anxious. And I was thinking about when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was kind of a fraidy cat, you know. Like I was I was sort of a baby. And I, one of the things I really didn't like is to be separated from my parents, you know. Like I didn't I didn't if my parents would go away uh, like some night and they get a babysitter, like that was kind of a traumatic experience for me. Um, which, you know, now that I'm a parent, I think, man, my parents are like saints. <laughs> like, how did they put up with that, right? But even if I, so I, had two, I have two older sisters. Even if my sisters were, like, going to be watching me, um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't, I didn't like to be away from my parents. And so I especially didn't like to stay the night at somebody else's house. Like, I did not like that at all. Probably because I peed the bed till I was, like, seven years old. But even beyond that, uh, I just didn't like to be away from mom and dad. And I remember we had this family that was pretty close to ours growing up, and um, they had kids that, that were our age, and so they had, um, they kind of had some money, and so they had fun stuff at their house. They had like, you know, a lake, and horses, and a clubhouse, and dogs, and all kind of fun stuff. And we would go over there, and I'd have a blast going over there when my parents were with us. But I remember sometimes these kids, these other kids, would want me to spend the night with them, and I would like start to have a panic attack. Like, I did not want to spend the night. Mom, you're not going to make me stay the night over there, are you? Like, you're not, I was scared, right? I was anxious. I was worried about what could happen. And so I started thinking about that more. I was thinking, why, why was that so scary for me? Like, why was it so scary for me to be separated from them? Why did I feel so anxious about that? And the answer that I came upon is actually very easy, and it's very obvious. I was worried and I was anxious because mom and dad weren't there. And when mom and dad were there, I felt safe, I felt secure, right? And I had no fear, not a care in the world. Let me ask you a question. Do you think, and and I I want you to think about this, do you think that that sort of thing plays into our fears now as adults? And, and I want to explain this to you. And I think specifically right now, I'm talking to people that have embraced the gospel. So if you're somebody sitting here tonight, and if you haven't yet, it's awesome that you're here. So this is a safe place. No one's going to pressure you to do anything you don't want to do. But I think I'm talking about people right now who have embraced the gospel and said, I am a follower of Jesus. If you've not made that decision yet, you're kind of off the hook right here. But I think it's still good for you to hear this. But if you've embraced the gospel, think about times in your life where you feel Think about times when you've had worry or anxiety. Do you sometimes forget that the Lord is near? Think about it. Think about times when you worry. Think about times when you're anxious. In those times, try to get into your mind. In those times... Do you sometimes forget that the Lord is near? Like me getting scared and anxious because my parents were gone. Do you think you might get anxious and scared because you feel alone and you feel like you're, it's all dependent on you? I want you to chew on that, and I want to I want to share with you another story that maybe might bring this out a little bit more. I want to, can I can I share with you something that I fear? 
Like something, something that kind of has, has messed with me in the past. It revolves around my family. So sometimes, not every time, much more seldom now, but sometimes in the past when Marsha would go out. So Marsha's my wife. When Marsha would go out, particularly at nighttime, and she would go by herself and go do something. Maybe it's to go hang out with her friends or something like that. I would like out of nowhere have like this deep, sudden anxiety that something was going to happen to her. Like something serious was going to happen to her and I'm going to lose her and I'm never going to see her again. Right? You, you may ever experience this? Like a family member? This, this is the honest truth. So like I would think like, oh my goodness, she would leave and I think, I'm alone and I think, what if she gets into an accident? Like what, what, if, what if she gets hit by a drunk driver? What if she gets mugged and murdered? What if she gets, I would get irrational. What if she gets struck by lightning? What if Bigfoot eats her? What if the, the earth splits open in front of her and it just envelops her and she's gone forever? Like I would get crazy with some of these beliefs sometimes, right? And, I, and I'm going to lose her. And, I, and like, am I crazy? Has anybody else experienced anything like that? Am I crazy? With that? Okay, good. Thank you. And then when we had kids, it started to get a little bit worse, you know? And I think, what if something happens? Particularly if Marsha takes the kids and goes somewhere. What if something happens that, to Marsha and the kids and they're gone forever? Anybody ever have those worries? Like, and I think part of it is because I'm not in control in those moments. You know, like I'm not with them. I'm not there to be able to protect them. I don't have the power to stop something bad from happening. But you know what I've come to understand about my thinking and my feeling when, when, when I'm feeling that way? In my mind, as these terrible scenarios are playing out, God is nowhere to be found. Like God's nowhere to be found. I've shut him out. Right? Not intentionally, kind of, kind of unknowingly, but I feel like I'm alone without the security of my father. And so I fear and I worry and I feel anxious because I have no power and I worry about what could happen, but I forget that the all-powerful God of the universe is near. Like God's near. You know, my, my protector, my provider, he's there. You know, like how I felt when I was at my family friend's house growing up and my parents were with me. Like what in the world could I possibly have to worry about? Paul says, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, when I first started, probably up to this week, when I read the passage that we're talking about, for some reason in my mind, I separated the part where Paul says, the Lord is near, from what he says next, from do not be anxious about anything. Look at it again. So at the end of verse 5, he says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know what I do now? Like, as I grow, as I mature, and as I get to know the heart of God better, when I, when I feel anxious about something, like when I start to worry about something, I remember and I remind myself that my Father is with me. Like that's, what, that's what I do. I remember and I remind myself that my father's with me. And then what I do is I begin to talk to him. Now listen, I know that God loves me. He's my father, right? He's God, but he's my father. And I'm his child. I'm his child whom he loves. And so when I'm feeling scared or when I'm feeling worrisome or anxious, I try to cling to him, right? Like I, in, I invite him in and I tell him what I'm feeling and then I present my request to him. I say, God, I'm feeling worried, you know? Like, I'm feeling worried. The ground is going to split. Marsh is going to fall in. It's going to eat her up, and I'm going to lose her forever. 
And I cry out to him. I said, please, God, remind me that you're in control. Please remind me that you're in control and would you please protect her? And guys, it's amazing how when we do that, like when we remember that the Lord is near, when I invite him in to my worry and to my anxiety and I ask him for help, it's amazing how it changes me. Because the peace of God that Paul talks about here is a powerful thing. Remember, that's, that's how Paul started out his letter. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, too. Paul started out his letter. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? It's amazing how God can bring us peace that transcends all understanding, that transcends any circumstance that we can be in when we invite God into what we're feeling and we present our request to him, when we lay our burdens at his feet. We have some friends at the Norton campus who um, just a couple, a couple months ago, right here, right now, got the dreaded C-word diagnosis, cancer. And it's a serious cancer. And, uh, you know, amidst their, their challenges and, and amidst the trials that they're facing and, and, and if they're honest, the anxieties that they sometimes face, they're also experiencing a peace from God that absolutely transcends all understanding. You know why? Because they've invited God in. Like they've, they've remembered that they have a Father who is near to them. And they've invited God into it. And they're presenting their request to Him. And they're depending on Him. Now listen, they know that healing isn't guaranteed for them. They, they know the reality of what she's dealing with right now. But they're still experiencing God's peace it's unexplainable, you know? When we remember that God is near, the all-powerful God of the universe who knows your name and who loves you, we have no reason to be anxious. We have no reason to be worrisome. We have no reason to be fearful. It's never helpful. I believe this. It's never needed. And it's never the godly response for us. Now, I want to I kind of change gears here because in our passage, Paul kind of changes gears, but it's all still related. So I want to do it by telling you a story. So earlier this month, we um, had a chance to go on vacation, which is awesome. I recommend it to everybody. It's nice to get away. So we, we had a chance to go down to Florida for a week or so. And, um, you know, like when, when I'm on, I don't know if you're this way, when I'm on vacation, I'm in like enjoyment and entertainment mode, right? Like I got no schedule. I'm sleeping in. I'm staying up late. I don't have a care in the world. I'm like... I just want to enjoy myself. I want to have fun. I want to relax. And so we did that. It was great. So at nighttime, like I'm a movie guy. I like to watch movies, usually like romantic comedies, and I'm not embarrassed about that, okay? But I, I love to watch movies. And so uh, we watched a bunch of movies down there, most of them like Redbox movies, you know. So at nighttime, a lot of times after dinner, you know, we'd be sitting around the condo and we were watching movies with the kids. And then when the kids would go to bed, we'd watch some more movies. The NBA finals were on at that time, too. So I confess, we did, my wife and I did watch a little bit of basketball during that time. But we watched some movies and it was really fun. Or, or HGTV. I'm not embarrassed to admit that I like Home and Garden TV as well. But anyway, so during this vacation, at some point, um, we started watching this series. There's a series on Netflix by this production company that I like. So I've seen a lot of the other movies, shows that they had, they had created, and I really liked them. So they had this series that came out on Netflix that I was pretty excited to watch, and I've watched some of the other ones with my son. And so 
um, my son was excited to watch this too. My eight-year-old son was excited to watch this too. And so um, we're going to watch this and kind of at the last minute, I'm like, hey, buddy, let me just watch it first and make sure it's fine. Like all the other stuff has been all right for you, but let me just watch it first and make sure that was fine. Man, can I tell you, I was glad that I watched it first because it was different than anything else that I had seen from this production company before. It was way darker and it was way more violent. But it was also a good story, right? It was a good story. Like, it was interesting, you know? That, the acting was good. The plot line was intriguing. The characters were pretty fascinating characters, right? And so Marsh and I watched this, this first episode, and we were, like, bothered and disgusted by the violence and the darkness, but then we were sucked in by the story, right? And so we watched another episode, and then we uh, kind of went to bed. We went to bed feeling, you know, just a little bit like, eh. I don't know. I don't, I don't like feel good. Just a little uneasy about it. And so the next night after the kids went to bed, we watched a little bit more and we got sucked into it a little bit more, right? And we were like appalled, kind of slightly appalled at some of the violence and, and just some of the issues that they were dealing with. But then we were entertained by other things. And I remember going to bed that night just feeling like dirty, you know? Like I don't know if you ever feel that way. Like, ah, like I don't know. I don't, I don't really like that. Well, then the next night, <laughs> we watched a little bit more. And by that point, my, my, my wife's more sensitive than I am. She, she lost interest. And so she went to bed, and I watched another episode. And then that night when I went to bed, this is so interesting. That night when I went to bed, you know what I felt? I felt scared. I felt scared because I was thinking about, so like I'm not in my house, right? Like I'm not in my bed. And I was thinking about the violence of the show, you know, not in my house, not in my bed, not in my neighborhood that I was used to, that I was familiar with. You know, every house has creeks and stuff that are unique to that house. I don't usually get scared about stuff like every house has unique creeks, you know? And so I hear something, I'm thinking, is that somebody walking in there? Like, who is that, right? So I'm like li- literally laying in bed going, is there something here? Like, was there a stick in the corner that I could defend myself with if somebody breaks into this house, right? Thinking, where did I leave my cell phone? If I need my cell phone in a hurry to call 911, where did I leave that? Like, this is the stuff that's going through my mind because I had filled my mind with this darkness and with this violence. It was an interesting story, but darkness and violence. And so as I lay in bed trying to fall asleep, I wasn't thinking about anything good. I wasn't thinking about God. I wasn't thinking about his goodness. I was worried about somebody breaking into our house and violently assaulting my family. Like, that's what I was thinking about. That's what I was worried about. Watching this series caused me to to kind of fear and to forget about the Lord. So I went to bed thinking, like, you know, as I'm I'm pondering this stuff, I'm thinking, there's nothing good that came out of me watching this, right? There's nothing helpful to me for watching this. Nothing at all. All it did was distract me from God and thinking about what he can and wants to do in my life. And so partway through that series, only six episodes into that series, I decided I probably need to stop watching this. I turned it off. Why do I share that with you? Well, here's what Paul writes. Look back at the text. So he says, the Lord is near. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then he says this, He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. He says, think about such things. Think about those things. Here's my question to you. I want you to think about this in your life. I want you to wrestle with this. What are you filling your mind with? Like, I confessed to you. Ask yourself that question. Like, what are, you, what are you filling your mind with? What are you thinking about? See, what we think about and what we fill our minds with affects so much of us living as followers of Jesus, especially living as followers of Jesus with this uncommon joy that we've been talking about. Now, God gives us a lot of freedom, right? Which is awesome. But boy, we need to be wise in our use of that freedom. Paul talks about this in another place. And he writes a letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he talks about something similar. He says, I think we're going to throw it on the screen. He says, okay, I have the right to do anything. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial to me. He says, everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Not everything is helpful for me. Listen, this is so practical. What Paul tells us is so practical and it's so true. Let me paraphrase what he's saying. He's saying, don't be anxious about anything, right? There's no need to worry. God's near you. God's with you. Just present your request to him with thanks and then allow his unexplainable peace to guard your heart and your mind knowing that you are Jesus's. And then I think he would say it this way. By the way, by the way, make sure that your mind's focused on the right stuff. Like, make sure that you're thinking about the right stuff. Be careful what you spend your time thinking about. Think about things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Think about those things. Philippians, those, that will help you. Barbertonians, that will help you. Think about those things. See, too often, see if you agree with me, too often, in my opinion, we fill our minds with garbage. It's all around us, right? Like there's garbage all around us. Some of it we can't get away from. Like some of it's part of our life. You drive on the expressway, somebody cuts you off, that's garbage. You can't do anything about that, right? But a lot of garbage we can do something about. And too many times I think, and and I don't say this like I'm immune to it, we can choose to kind of fill our mind and think about things that are not helpful at all. Some of the garbage is obvious, right? Like some of the hurtful things that we can think about that we can fill our mind with, they're obvious. Things like pornography. Pornography, it's almost universally accepted that pornography, viewing, consuming pornography, has a negative effect on almost every relationship we can be in, especially our dating relationships, our spousal relationships, and our parenting relationships. Like, that's obvious. That's obviously garbage, right? But other stuff is not so obvious. I I talked about, uh, think about entertainment. I talked about this show that I watched on Netflix. Think about, like, what you consume in your spare time, like when you're, when you're trying to relax, when you're trying to, you know, not, uh, not worry about things, not think about stuff, kind of download for the night, like think about stuff that you consume to entertain you. I was thinking about just like the, the um, critically acclaimed television shows, series right now or over the last few years, you know, like Game of Thrones, for example, is a really popular, critically acclaimed show uh, that, that uh, has incredible violence a lot of sexual violence in it, war, deception, immorality. I think about a show like Fifty Shades of Grey, 
right? It talks about, I mean, it's all about sexuality, sexual immorality. It's a book that turned into a movie. I think about things like Breaking Bad. You know, it was a, a really, really popular show last year about a chemistry teacher who's sick and dying and wants to provide for his family, so he uses his chemistry skills to become a drug manufacturer and drug dealer. And it's, like, incredibly violent, right? I think of shows like The Walking Dead, so popular. The show is so popular about the zombie apocalypse. Like, what is our fascination with death and zombies? It's all over the place. Like, it's all over the place. I see some smiles there. I know you guys, you guys are like going like this, right? A few years ago, Sopranos was like super popular, all about the mafia and the mob and the terrible things that they did. Do you know how many Christians I've seen that like watch this stuff and with no shame, like post and all about it on Facebook? I am so excited to see the next episode of blank. You fill in the blank. And it's like, why do we consume so much garbage? You know, I and I get, you know, some of these shows have, have great characters and they're and they're artful. Like I I get that. But let me ask you, is it really worth all of the other stuff that comes along with viewing it? Like, is it really worth all of the other stuff that comes along in our mind, in our spirits, when that's the stuff that we consume? It affects us. Whether we know it or not, whether we believe it or not, whether it's immediate or delayed, it affects us. It affects us, it affects our relationships with others, and it affects our relationship with God. Don't get me started on Facebook, right? Like, Facebook and Twitter. I mean, there is like... Some of the most hurtful, mean, bitter comments you'll ever see anywhere is like all over the place on Facebook, right? This last week we had the Supreme Court ruling about gay marriage, right? And I was reading some of the stuff on there yesterday from my Facebook friends. And it's like so bitter and mean on both sides of the issue. Like all over the place. So bitter and so mean. And let me, by the way, let me say this. I should probably say this. Like what the Supreme Court ruled about gay marriage, legalizing gay marriage, it doesn't change anything for us. Like we, we just need to know that. It doesn't change anything for us. We're still going to love God the same way. We're still going to love people the same way. We're still going to love the Bible and what the Bible says the same way. We're still going to do church the same way. We still believe what the Bible says and we love people that disagree with us. Right? What the Supreme Court said, says, and we'll probably at some point as Grace Church have kind of an official statement on that because I, I think it's probably necessary, but... but like what the Supreme Court says doesn't dictate what we do or what we believe. We still love people the same. We still do church the same. Back to Facebook. It's like all over the place, right? Like there's so much garbage all around us. Here's my point. I'll wrap it up this way. Here's my point. Maybe these are things that you like expect the pastor to say, right? Like maybe, maybe you can kind of dismiss me, and I don't think you are because I like you guys and you like me, but maybe you can dismiss me and say, well, this is, we expect the pastor who lives in a bubble and who, you know, isolates himself, doesn't, is out of touch with the real world to say this. Or maybe these are some of the things that are absolutely key in helping you remember that the Lord is near, helping us remember that the Lord is near. And we don't need to be anxious. We don't need to be worrisome. Maybe these are things that will help us experience the power of the gospel in an incredible way that we've never experienced before. Maybe these are some things that will help us be able to live with the joy that's not common in this world. 
How many interactions do you have with people where you go, man, there's just something about that guy. That guy is happy. That guy is joyous. It's not that often. Occasionally, but it's not that often. See, Paul gives us a lot of wisdom here. In verse 9, I love it. He says, when we do these things, when we're not anxious, and when we realize that God's with us, when we present our requests to him, when we fill and focus our mind on good things, when we do these things, the peace of God will guard us. It'll guard us. It'll stand and guard over our hearts and over our minds. And then Paul goes on, and I'll end this way. Paul goes on talking about how when we embrace the gospel, When we embrace the good news about Jesus and who he is, it leads to contentment in our life. I don't know about you, but I want a life of contentment. Right? Like there's all kinds of pressures around us all of the time saying, no, no, no. To be happy, to be content, you need this, you need that. You need a little bit more. You need a little less of this other stuff. I want contentment in my life right here and right now. And what the gospel says, when we embrace the gospel, when we embrace this good news, what the gospel says is, Jesus is enough. Like, I can be content with, Paul says, I can be content with a lot. I can be content with very little. Because the key to my contentment is not how much I have. But the key to my contentment is Jesus, is knowing him. And so I want to challenge you one last time, I guess, before, before we wrap up tonight. Like, what does it look like for you to embrace the gospel? Like in your own life, if, if, if throughout this series you think about, man, I want the kind of joy that it talks about in here. If you think that, like, have you embraced the good news? Have you embraced the one who brings us joy that's unspeakable? You know, that's not dependent on any of our circumstances. That's not dependent on how much money we have, on how successful we are. A joy that's dependent on forgiveness from Jesus and a relationship with him. I would, I would beg you, don't wait until you're cleaned up and perfect and everything is going just right. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. What the gospel says is, come to Jesus just as you are. There's nothing that we could do to earn it. There's nothing that we could do to impress him and make him say, that Jody, she's so special. He loves us just as much today as he will ever love any of us. All we have to do is accept it and say, I will now make you the center of my life and I will follow you.